Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. This time of year always makes me really you know, emotional and nostalgic, but one of the things that I come face-to-face with every year is how blessed um, we are at First Baptist Church with the musicians and the vocalists that God has entrusted to us here who have worked so many years to, um, uh, to glorify God in, in that part of their ministry. And, and what I want you to realize is they spend hours and hours and hours in practice. They think about what they're doing. They're praying. And um, I am just blown away. In fact, uh, year after year, it just seems to get better and better. And uh, I'm just grateful to God for, for Sarah and McKaylee and Matt and, uh, and Christine for, for their work. Um, I'm also grateful to God for the two guys sitting in the back in the booth who make all the technology work, you know? So, <laughs> in fact, when things go wrong, they're the first guy the first people that everybody turns their head and, and looks back at like, what's going on here, you know? <laughs> so, but anyway, we are, we are blessed. And uh, it's such a blessing as a church family to, to be able to serve alongside one another um, and to do so in a way that, um, that's a blessing to our community. And so uh, with that, um, I want to take you to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. And you guys can sit back there and just, just kind of relax and listen. Um, it reads, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's obviously the theme of this year's um, Christmas celebration, because that's the hope that we celebrate at Christmas. That's really the point of everything that we do. From the, from the lights to the presents to the songs to the food to time with family, we celebrate Christmas Because of the birth of Christ, God has come to be with us. And the thing is for us, I think it's such an important truth that that it's even reflected in his name, Emmanuel. Literally, it means, it's it's a Jewish name. It means God with us. And that brings, that that truth brings us such hope. The world celebrates because of that truth, because God has come again to be with us. And we say that, and we, we sing that, and we, we celebrate that. 
In fact, one of our favorite songs in Christmas time is Joy to the World, the Lord has come. But have you really stopped to think about why does this name bring so much hope to so many people? Why it, why it brings hope to those around the world? Why it has brought hope to every nation and every tribe and every tongue? Why it brought hope to this little bitty nation of Israel in the first century that was under Roman captivity? You see, the reason why there was joy that God is with us is because there was the truth that there was sorrow before that because God was not with us. You see, the name Emmanuel is not so much a statement of, of where God is going to be. The, the name is a statement that there was something inherently wrong with the world and, and something wrong with the human condition before Christ came. That there was something missing, something lacking. Because before Christ, God was not with us. That mankind, in a very real and sorrowful sense, was alone. That mankind was without Him, which implies, really for us, the entire gospel story. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, God, we're told, created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And then God created... On the sixth day, mankind. And he created him special in his own image. That he created mankind perfect. But most importantly, and the thing I think we lose sight of in the world where we are connected in every way electronically, but though we find ourselves hibernating and getting alone away from the world, is we were created to have a relationship with God. That was the purpose of creation. Mankind is the crowning achievement of God's creation because God created him to be with him. That was the perfect created order. That was the way things were designed for a man. That was, that was the way God created the entire cosmos. Mankind and God were to be together in relationship. That's why instinctively people feel like there's something missing all the time. Even people who achieve the greatest heights in the world always will, will, will strive for more. Why? Because something is missing. If you know me and how I feel about football, you know that I have never, or not for, for many years, was not a fan of Tom Brady. Right? I rooted against him year after year after year. I finally have just come to the terms where he's the greatest quarterback of all time. I can say that. I didn't like him then, but I, but I realize he's the greatest quarterback of all time undisputed, right? But with that being said, I heard in, in an interview when they talked about after he won so many Super Bowls, he just kept talking about there's something else, something else, something else, something missing. And when you talk to people who are successful, it's the same thing. They're driven, they're driven, they're driven. They achieve the goal, but then they're empty again. The reason for that is very simple to explain. As Pascal said, we have a God-shaped hole in our hearts and nothing that we put in that will ever satisfy and fill that. Mankind was created to have an up-close, intimate relationship with God. That was our and is our purpose. And that's the ideal. When, it was, when God created the world, it was right and everything was good. Everything was perfect. There was no sin. There was no tears or pain or sorrow or striving or hurt or cancer. 
or Omicron or loneliness or depression or anxiety or betrayal or any of the other things that ail us. God said it was all good. In fact, the Bible tells us when God saw everything he had made, behold, it was very good. It was perfect the way things were to be. God saw his entire creation the way that he would have it be. It was perfect for mankind, too. Mankind had everything he needed and everything he could have ever wanted, including that up-close personal relationship with God who created him. And I'm not talking about just a spiritual relationship, that Adam walked with God, that he was with him physically. He had an intimacy with God that nobody has ever seen since that time. But then it all changed. Adam and Eve sinned against a holy and righteous and just God, the God who loved them, the God who created them, the God who made them for himself, the God who put the need for him in their hearts, a need that still people have to this day. But mankind rebelled against that God. That's why Paul says in Romans that all people know, by the way, that God exists. The truth is that all people who want to deny God ultimately know down deep, even when they don't want to admit it to themselves, somewhere deep inside of them, there's a yearning and a longing for that. Mankind was made in the image of God and needs Him. But again, sin entered the world through Adam, and that, that relationship was destroyed. That connection, that relationship that we were meant to have was was gone and we know what that feels like even in our humanity we know what it's like to love someone deeply and then have them not be there anymore there's a part of you that's gone whether it's through death whether it's through divorce whether it's through bitter rivalries because of friends we've all lost really really good friends over something stupid something's missing in, in part of your life that's the essence. That's a reflection of the, what's missing in our life without God. And a sign of that destruction of that relationship was when, when Adam and Eve sinned, they began to immediately try to hide from God, which is a preposterous idea by itself. Right? But they tried to hide from God. And then they, number two, they were tried to cover themselves because they became aware of their shame. They were They were before, free of shame. Nothing inhibited them. There was nothing between them and God. And suddenly they're trying to put an artificial barrier between them and God so God couldn't see them. And then number three, God stationed a cherubim, an angel, at the edge of the Garden of Eden, keeping them out of God's presence. Not simply out of the garden, but out of His presence of God Himself. And so man and God became separated, and a gulf between man and God was in place that was more than any man could physically or spiritually overcome. A gulf so big that no man could reconcile himself to this broken relationship with God. One of the lies that the world tells us, or that religion wants to tell us, is that you need to be better. You need to work harder. You need to try harder. You need to do good things until your good deeds outweigh your bad things. The problem with that is, is you will never, ever be able to do enough on your own to span the gulf between you and God. 
Mankind can't try hard enough, be good enough, or sincere enough, or religious enough. The distance is just simply too great. In fact, it was so great that mankind would have no hope, except God in His grace made a promise. He made a promise to put someone, to send someone who would make things right. God said in, the, in, the, in Genesis to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, singular, will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In this text, we have the, the promise of the skull-crushing seed of the woman, the one to come. God promised to send someone into the world to undo all the damage that had been done, to fix what was broken, to redeem what was lost. And mankind began to, in hope, look forward, waiting for that time, the coming of the one who would bring us back to God again. And when God sent Moses into the world, Moses was a type and a shadow of this one to come. Because Moses brought God's people out of, the, of captivity, a foreshadow of things to come. And through Moses, God gave people the law. And he gave them the tabernacle and the priesthood. Again, a foreshadow of things to come. You see, the, the tabernacle and later, the, and later the, uh, the temple was a symbol of the very presence of God. It was a symbol that God was among His people. It was a symbol of the promise that God would one day be with them. And the priests, they were the ones who interceded between God and man because even though God was among His people, He still was not truly, completely with them. In fact, there was a barrier still between God and man. The architecture of the temple and the tabernacle itself bears witness to that truth. What most people don't realize when we think of the temple is that the closest any regular Jewish person could get to God was outside of the temple, outside of the court of the temple, in a, t in a court called the, the court of the Gentiles, or, the, or excuse me, the court of, the, of Israel. And what we need to realize is then the people who were, were Jewish, devout in every possible way, that is as close as they could get to, is to look outside and see the temple building. And that was it. Now, the court around the temple was reserved for the priest who did the work of the Lord there. But even they had places that were off limits to them. In fact, the main part of the temple, which is so important and poetic for us to see. The main part of the temple was a room called the holy place. This is where incense was offered. It was a big room. And at the very end of it was another smaller room called the most holy place. And the most holy place is where they housed the Ark of the Covenant. But that was where, that was the, that was the symbolic, but at times the literal place where the presence of God resided. And the thing is, is no one was ever allowed in that room except one time of year, a priest was to go in there and make atonement. And that was it. No one was ever allowed to be in the presence of God. And what separated the holy place from the most holy place was this gigantic curtain called the veil. It was like three stories high, like six inches thick. And it was a visible reminder that there was a real barrier between God and man. 
that though you would desire to draw close to God, you can get so close to God, but you could still not come and be with him. You could not be in his presence. In fact, on the veil was embroidered the image of the cherubim, of the angel that separated God and man from the garden. Well, over the years, Israel rebelled against God and God's presence, his glory, actually left the temple, indicating that God had left his people. And eventually the temple was destroyed and then rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt again right before Christ, which was a time that the world, especially the Jewish world, was waiting. They were anticipating, they were on the tips of their toes, hoping for, waiting for, finally God to deliver the man, the Messiah, who would make all things right. And then that time came, the very first Christmas. We sing Silent Night. We sing Joy to the World. We sing We sing all of these Christmas carols over this one event. Jesus, Emmanuel, came into the world and brought with him a renewed hope. As the the Apostle John writes, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word... God himself became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, who is the eternal Son of God, became a man. What an incredible miracle. What links that the sovereign Lord that created all things went to to be with us. God himself entered into his own creation to be with us. And more than just be with us, I want you to hear me. It's not just being with us. He came to identify with us. He came to walk in our shoes. The Bible talks about that he was tempted in every way like us, that he he experienced all the sorrows that we experienced. He came to suffer with us, and he came, more importantly, to suffer for us. And in that life, as he was present in the world, he lived a perfect, righteous life. A life where he kept the promises. A life where he kept the covenant. A life where he obeyed the law perfectly. A life where he did what what Adam failed to do. That's why we call him the second Adam. The first Adam failed. The second Adam did what was required He earned a permanent righteous standing with God. And then in his love for us, in a love that I still can't wrap my head around, he went to the cross where he suffered the abuse of men, but also bore in his body the full weight of God's wrath against God's hatred of sin. You know, I talk to people all the time. In fact, one of the things I found is I got a little bit of an online ministry where people are asking me all kinds of questions, and I'm, I'm grateful to God for that. And people ask me all these theological questions and try to stump me. And, and, I, and I'm going to tell you, like, the, the mystery of the Trinity does not even cause me to lose any sleep. Like, I don't fully wrap my head around it. I mean, I know it's true, but I can't fully imagine it. But I don't, I don't lose sleep over that. The mystery of the incarnation is not something that, that causes me to worry how is God fully man and fully God in one 
place in the hypostatic union is to use theological language. How is that even possible? I don't know. But guess what? I don't worry about that. The part that confuses me, the part that I don't understand, the part that just causes me to fall to my knees and cry, the part that always tears me up from the inside out is how in the world would God send his son into the world to suffer and die for the likes of someone like me? That's the mystery that baffles me. More than being here with me, that he took upon himself my sin. I know who this guy is. I know what this guy has done. I know what I'm capable still doing. But then I look at the cross and I see the Son of God not only came to be with me, but to suffer for me and die in our place. And when he died, he was no longer present with us. But then something happened, incredible, miraculous happened. The veil in the temple, this gigantic veil, three stories high, six inches thick, right? The veil that separated the space between God and man was torn completely in two from top to bottom, which is impossible, right? It's a miracle that happened. The veil that had the cherubim no longer stood guarding the way into God. God and man were now finally, truly reconciled by the sacrifice of Christ. The way into God's presence was open. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, proving that he is what he claimed to be. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that the gulf had been spanned by the God-man, Jesus Christ. And all that a person needs. And the most miraculous part to me is this. All that a person needs to do is to enter into that relationship with God. Is not to become religious and not to suddenly try to obey a bunch of rules. The way to be reconciled back to God as a family member is to repent and believe the gospel. To repent and put their faith in Christ and the finished work that he did for us on the cross. One of the things that we talked about this morning as we were looking at Romans is that what we have as Christians is nothing but Christ. That's the song we sang, by the way. We have no reason to boast. We have no reason to brag. We have no reason to ever look down our noses at anyone else in the world. Why? Because if it weren't for the grace of God, I'd be just like them. I'd be doing the same things. There's nothing in me that's worthwhile that would cause God to love me. He just chose to love me. And that Christ gave us the opportunity to repent and believe. And when that happens, not only are, are they saved, Jesus promises, these words hit me right here. Jesus promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. He says, I will be with you until the end of the age. That Christians, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter where you find yourself, you are never alone. That God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe is present with you. That is a promise from Christ. And after Christ left, he sent God, the Holy Spirit, to come and live inside of us. This is the reality for Christians. At the moment you trust in Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, takes up residence inside you. And he becomes the guarantee of your rescue that he is the earnest deposit that proves for a fact that you belong to God and that he will always be with you. 
And again, you were never away from the presence of God as a Christian. This is why Jesus told the woman at the well, a time is coming and is now here, right? That we will worship God in spirit and in truth. We don't have to go to places to worship God. We don't have to go to a temple to be in the presence of God. If you're a Christian, you are immediately in the presence of God. When you say, Heavenly Father, He is listening to you. You're standing in the throne room of heaven when you pray. God, the Holy Spirit, then guides us and leads us and comforts us all the days of our lives, changing our attitudes and, our, and conforming us in the image of Christ. And He's a present reality with us until we finally see our hope completely fulfilled. Because there's a time that we're all coming to. There's a place that we're all moving towards. Every one of us at some point will step off into eternity that is, that is undeniable. But we know that we're reminded that we've lost even dear loved ones recently. But more than that, there is a time when God, Christ, is coming back. And he's going to settle all things and make all things right. And in Revelation chapter 21, we read, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself, listen to these words, God himself will be with them. He will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The promise of Emmanuel, the promise of Christmas, is that all things that have been broken will be made new. That what is lost will be found. That what has been wrecked will be rectified. And that we will live forever in the presence of the one that we were created for. The one that our hearts long for. The one our, our, our world yearns for. The one even the institution of marriage points to, even our relationships all point to. The hope of Christmas, the hope of Emmanuel, is that God is with us here and now, and he will be with us for eternity to come. And that is the hope that we hold on to, and that is the hope we carry out into the world. You see, one of the things that I try to remind people of as Christians is we're not doing what we do to get people to join our club. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you, if, you're, if that was it, man, the benefits aren't that great when it comes down to like living in the world, right? What we're trying to do is remind people of the truth that they were created to have relationship with God and that God has made a way for that relationship to be a reality for them. And that's why the whole world, whether they know it or not, stands in worship of the King who came in the world to be with you. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.